The Irish Nation, summer camp is in full swing, just a couple weeks left before the season opener, and for college football fans, this is really right up there with Christmas for the most exciting time of year, and for me in particular, just minutes before recording this show, my other best friend, Mike, uh, Ohio State alumni, hooked me up with uh, two great tickets for the, the opener against Ohio State uh, and Notre Dame, so I'm particularly excited, pumped up going into this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Anticipation is building. The Ohio State game, what a great way to kick off the season. Huge matchup. I actually had an opportunity to go and get a face value ticket, and also I had a place to stay for with an Airbnb. But uh, unfortunately, I've had a bunch of just personal things pop up, good personal things pop up that are not allowing me to go. So I'm going to watch it on TV. I'm still really psyched. I'm glad that it's working out for Brett to where he's going to be able to get good tickets to the game and, and be there in person. For the game. He's definitely going to be sending me a lot of pictures and videos during the game, and I'm going to be extremely jealous. But anyway, fans, coaches, media pundits, this, we're getting close to the season. They're all gearing up, turning their attention to the season. And that's especially true for Notre Dame fans this year. We have a very unique conversation of excitement from recent results. Five straight seasons with at least 10 wins. That was from the Kelly area. Kelly era. But also uncertainty and anticipation for a lot of new changes to the program. So we have a new coach, which everyone is aware of, a new starting QB. Kyron Williams is gone, so we have a new running back who's going to be taking the mantle, a new wide receiver one, and then even on top of that, a new defensive coordinator. And not to mention the Manti Teo documentary that just came out today as we're recording this. So how all that comes together makes this one of the more highly anticipated off-seasons in recent memory. And so with that excitement, we here at Guyers Talk, we've got you covered. Everything you need to know going into the season. You can check out last week's show for an overview of the schedule and who Notre Dame's going up against this year. Uh, on today's show, we're going to cover the offense. And next week, we'll come back and preview the defense and possibly, don't don't hold your breath, but possibly we'll also do a documentary review of, of the Manti Teo uh, Netflix show that, that Mike just referenced. We're going to do it, and it's going to be real, so we, we got to get the hype going now. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we dive into the show, we're going to we're just going to spend a minute each week reminding our returning listeners and all our new listeners how we approach Guyrish Talk. So our mantra is glass half full data analytics. First and foremost, we are huge Notre Dame fans, and we'll always take the positive spin on college football players who are ultimately 18 to 20-year-old kids. These aren't grown professional athletes. It's a completely different standard from, from our standpoint. These are kids who are growing, they're learning. They're maturing uh, in, in front of a camera in many instances. We're going to be a little harder on the coaches, which makes sense. They're grown men. But generally speaking, we are not a hot takes podcast. People like Skip Bayless. He has a place in sports media. A lot of people like him. A lot of people don't like him. He generates a lot of attention. That's not us. Primarily, we are analytically driven, and that's that's where our comfort zone is. As we've mentioned on some prior shows, Brett and I both have finance and strategy backgrounds. So... It's, uh, it falls right in line with our background to take a very quantitative approach. Yeah, and on the analytics, it, it's the stats that matter, not necessarily the headline stats that you'll you know hear on an NBC broadcast or on SportsCenter. The analogy I always like to make is the stats evolution that we've seen in baseball. No one talks about a batting average anymore. It's all about on-base percentage and slugging percentage and exit velocity and, and you know uh, hard-hit contact, which are much better better indicators of what truly wins a baseball game. We try to take a similar approach here to football. You know, rushing yards for a running back or passing yards or receiving yards, they're not really a good indicator for how that player performed. In fact, a lot of times, you know, if a running back does really well, it's really the offensive line or it could be a poor defense. So we'll be talking through other metrics that better measure a player's performance than maybe just the headline stats like yards and touchdowns. Yeah, I think a key component with these stats that we tend to focus on is that they're more predictive. So going into a game, we're trying to give our listeners a good idea of how the game should go based on what we know in terms of data. Obviously, that doesn't always happen. Crazy things happen. But that's, I would say that in particular is a key, a key focus for us. Now, if you're interested in doing your own research or going even deeper on these stats, I'm going to mention a few places that we go to quite a bit. So Pro Football Focus, awesome subscription. They're most famous for the numerical grades that they assign players, position groups, and teams. These grades are actually graded based on performance on film. So they actually have a team of, of analysts who are going through and watching the tape and, and give them grades. Uh, so we reference these grades a lot. We'll reference them in a minute as we go through the offense. But they also, on top of that, they also include a lot of advanced stats like broken tackles, pressures allowed, QB elusiveness in the pocket, coverage stats for defenders, uh, etc. So 
we really like we really like Pro Football Focus. We also really like efficiency ratings like SP Plus and FEI to measure a team's true productivity beyond just the scoreboard. Uh, these adjust for strength of schedule and, and some other factors like that. And then on top of that, collegefootballdata.com is a great repository of advanced team metrics like explosiveness and havoc. And so you combine all that, and I think from our standpoint, it gives us a pretty comprehensive view from a data standpoint of where the team is, how it's performed, and how we expect to do going forward, and how we match up in certain games as well. Okay, one more topic before we dive into the show today. If you're listening to this show right now, Yes, I'm talking to you, you specifically. If you like listening to us, or even if you don't like listening to us, please go leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast. Go leave us a review. Please, please subscribe to the show so that we get those automatic downloads. That really helps us track how we're growing as a podcast. And then most importantly, tell a friend. Tell two friends. Tell your whole family. It's awesome seeing our listener base really grow a ton during the first year of the podcast. As we enter our second season of Geyer's Talk, we need you, our listeners, to help us continue to grow and spread the word about this show. I agree with that completely. I think, Brett, I think if you did a challenge where you agreed to do a shot of Malort for every review that we get at the Ohio State game, I think that could be some way to get some Oh, man, it. I like that. I like so that. So we'll see. I, I don't want to put you on the spot on the air recording. I will not. I'm the person. I, so I, I edit these after the fact. I will not be editing this out. So I'll, I'll let you <laughs> sit on it for a little bit, and, and we'll see what happens here. Obviously, if like 30 people give reviews, um, well, I think that just means that, uh, it might, it might be a, a bit of a tough Ohio State game or, or maybe good. I don't know. It depends my, on your perspective. My, my friend Mike, who went to Ohio State, who just helped get me two tickets and I'm sitting with him for this game might not appreciate me finishing, um, you know, an entire bottle of, uh, Jepson's Swedish, Swedish liqueur, aka Malort, but we'll, we'll see what we can do for our listeners. Yeah, it'll be it'll be the Wisconsin game at Soldier Field 2.0. Brett will be on his best behavior. I'm not going to say much more about that, but I think some of our listeners may know what I'm talking about. Um, Now, with that, we're going to dive into the offense preview show. Similar to last week, we've got a series of questions, I believe six in total. We'll alternate asking the questions and who gets first response and then a rebuttal. With all that, Brett, are you ready to dive in? All right, the offensive preview. So we're going to go through a series of questions focused just on the offensive roster to help us walk through really the key players and some of the key headlines heading into this season on that side of the football. And the big conversation coming out of camp is obviously Tyler Buckner is QB1, that the new starting quarterback here going into his sophomore season. But before we get to Buckner... The real question that that I've got for you, Mike, is does Buckner have the weapons around him to make this work? I think that's a good question because no matter how talented Buckner ends up being, a key component of success is going to rely on his supporting cast. And so a key part of that is it's going to be – I'm going to start with the wide receivers and tight ends. So uh, from a tight end standpoint, we know we got Michael Mayer. He's potentially the best tight end in America. I don't think we need to say a whole lot more about him. He's someone who opposing defenses are going to have to count for every single play. So from a tight end standpoint, we're we're good there. We are probably about as loaded there as possible. We have viable backups. Obviously, none of them are quite as good as Michael Mayer, but that's a position that we're we're pretty good at. Mayer will be a great target for Buckner. Now, moving on to the position of concern, which shouldn't be surprising to anyone who's been following the team closely, it's wide receiver. So we do have everyone back but Kevin Austin. Kevin Austin, I, I do... I'm not going to harp on this, but I do wish he had stuck around. I think he'd be, he would have been able to dra- boost his draft stock a bit if he had stuck around and he could have had a big year. It actually would have helped us quite a bit from a depth standpoint. It seems like it would have been a win-win. But what's done is done. Regardless of that, this is a situation, this is a, a, a position group that has not been recruited well from a depth standpoint. We have we have some talent from a top-end uh, angle, but right now things are looking pretty thin from a, from a depth standpoint. So right now, Joe Wilkins, he has a foot injury. He's likely out for the start of the season. Freeman, however, did say he may be available before Ohio State. The big news that broke, though, is that we found out within the last week that Avery Davis, who is expected to be a key member of the wide receiver room, really the veteran, a team captain, what you want 
from a player in the Notre Dame program just represents all the values of the university and the team tore his other ACL and it's just heartbreaking. He's someone who puts the work in. He's someone who would have been extremely productive for us. And now we don't have a completely obvious backup for him. So that actually hurts us quite a bit. As I mentioned on the depth, we only have five scholarship wide receivers. I guess it's six if you include walk-on Matt Salerno, because technically he does have a scholarship. But those five are Braden Lindsay, Deion Colsey, Winsor Styles, Jaden Thomas, and the freshman Tobias Merriweather. So we're really thin. Colsey is also banged up. Apparently he's he's had a few injury issues at camp. And it's at the point where Matt Salerno, the walk-on, has been getting reps with the first team. And there was an interesting tweet that Pete Sampson had that said, Salerno, this is one of those tweets that uh, you don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I tended to think it was a bad thing. It said Salerno was working with the ones, and then he was also beating some of the ones in the secondary. So I saw that, and I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's if that's great that the walk-on is not only is he getting meaningful reps, but he's also beating some of our scholarship def- defenders. might not be anything. Again, maybe ends up being kind of a Chris Fink situation. I I tend to think that that's unlikely. But the story here is that we do not have much depth. Players like St- Styles. I think Styles is someone who could be a pretty effective target here. Um, he, he he certainly showed a lot last year in his first year, and I think he could take. I expect him to take a big step here. Uh, Tobias Merriweather has been turning heads in camp, but you don't really know if he's going to hit that freshman wall or not. Braden Lindsay. He's he's someone who has flashed at times. He's very fast, but he's never been able to put it together for a full season. Um, and he's also suffered from from injury issues too. So I think if you're looking at this. You have to almost hope that all of these people stay healthy. We don't have any more key injuries and that a couple of these guys step up. So I, I would say we're in a, we're pretty close to disaster, I think, in the, in this room. If everyone stays healthy and a couple of these guys step up, I think we're okay. Like I said, a lot of these guys are returning. So we do have, it's people who have seen time. It's not a totally new room. We're returning 68% of the targets. Uh, that's the second most for Notre Dame since, uh, Pro Football Focus started tracking. So it's uh, it's one of those things. We're great at tight end. Receiver, we have some top-end talent, but we already have had a couple – we've already had a key injury, and a couple guys are already banged up. So overall, my take is that this is not an ideal scenario for a year-one starting QB. It's possible it could be okay, but it's, it's looking a bit dicey at this point. And if Salerno's getting reps already, I think that makes you pretty nervous. And uh, I think when you're in a situation like that – the expectation is you're not going to be having receivers who are generating a ton of separation for a first-year QB and making it easy on them. One word answer on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your concern about the passing game from a receiver and tight end perspective? One being we got three studs in the room and we're going to have you know an All-American zero concerns, and 10 being I'm freaked out this is going to lead to multiple losses. That's a good question, Brett. So I think Mayer helps a lot. Having an All-American tight end, that makes a pretty big difference. And and I think, we again, we have recruited well at tight end. So that gives that gives Tommy Reese some, some options to get creative with the formations, maybe put a couple tight ends on the field at the same time. We can do stuff like that. There are ways that you can mitigate some of these wide receiver issues. But overall, if if we have even one more injury where it's it's almost a disaster from from a receiver standpoint. So I, I think my my inclination is a six or a seven. I think um, I can't really go any worse with than that just because of Mayer. But um, I think there is a real risk that these wide receiver issues could directly result in us getting in a situation in a game where we just have no passing attack. The defense can just hone in on Mayer. They don't have to worry about anyone else. And we have essentially no explosiveness. And if you, we, we, we know that uh, explosiveness is a key element to an elite offense or even a very good offense. And if you can't generate any of that, it's really tough. It's really tough to generate enough successful plays in a row to continually score. Um, and I think that's a situation we could be in. So I think six or seven, I'm probably maybe leaning a little bit more towards a seven just because the depth issues are already starting to rear their head and we haven't even played one game yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time poking any holes in this other than it kind of reminds me of the 2013 season after Michael Floyd graduated when, you know, TJ Jones had a pretty good season. Devaris Daniels had a pretty good season, but didn't really know what either guys, either of those guys were going to do going into the year as kind of the number one, number two option. And there's a reason, you know, if you're on Notre Dame message boards, target number one by the Notre Dame public is Dell Alexander's recruiting. 
He's the former wide receiver coach who was let go this offseason, largely because of his struggles recruiting. If you go back two episodes, we did an episode that was largely about recruiting, and you'll see new wide receiver coach Chancey Stuckey's really changed that in a big way. But this is a big concern. I'm probably closer to an eight or nine on the concern scale, where I think this is the position group that, you know, last week's show I predicted we would go 0-2 against Ohio State and Clemson. It's because of this position group, um, in in my opinion. You know, as, as you think about predictive analytics, we say this a lot, offense and defensive lines create top 25 programs, wide receiver, quarterback, and cornerback, so big passing game threats. Those are the position groups that create national championships and, and playoff appearances. And as I think back about Notre Dame in really the last eight years, I'm going to tick through the number one wide receiver on each of those teams. Will Fuller, um, Will Fuller, Aquinius St. Brown. Um, then we transitioned to Miles Boykin, Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool. Um, and then, um, in 2020, it was a bit of a by committee. And then last year, you really had Kevin Austin step up. So we made it work in 2020, for sure. Um, this feels a little bit like that, but without a real go-to number one. I know everyone's excited about Deion Colsey, although he's actually been banged up in camp and hasn't been practicing a lot. I know everyone's really excited about Lorenzo Styles Jr. Um, those guys have huge potential, but we forget, like, they didn't start last year. You know, they had big roles in the bowl game at the end of the season. They definitely showed flashes, but we're not bringing back a guy that, you know, had 50, 60 catches last year and undoubtedly is ready to step in and, and be number one. I'm, I'm just looking at the stats. Lorenzo Styles Jr. had 32 targets last year. 32. Like, that's really hard to say that that's the guy I'm going to hang my hat on. Deion Colsey had nine targets last year. That's really hard to say that's the guy I'm going to hang my hat on. And so, yes, Mike Mayer, 100%. Um, but if defenses can lock in on him, I just get really worried about who's going to be the number one guy. And it could be Styles, It could be Colsey. They both are, you know, elite top 150 recruits, high-end four stars. The potential's there. I just get real nervous that we don't have a bona fide number one receiver Really, for maybe only the second time in the last decade, has Notre Dame not gone into the season knowing, all right, this guy, if you're in trouble, chuck it up to him, and he's going to go get a 60, 70 catches this year? We don't have that. Um, and, and we do at the tight end position. We, we don't out wide. And so I agree Mike Mayer pulls me back from that a little bit. I think my concern level is a little bit higher, especially – thinking through this from Tyler Buckner's perspective as as the first year starting QB in the offense. Definitely. I think Styles if if I had a guess, Styles probably will emerge as that number one option, but we don't know that for sure. Like you said, it's still a limited sample size from last year. He if you project him out, that's probably what happens, but that it doesn't always work out that way certainly. Thomas is someone who's looked pretty good in camp. Uh, and, and he looked pretty good in the spring. He's looked pretty good thus far. But, um, again, we're projecting out. And this is just information you get from camp. Coaches are going to tend to be a little bit more positive when they're talking to the media and leaking stuff to reporters. So we're not really going to know until we hit the field. If you t- if you told me, Mike, these 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 guys are all going to be healthy. You don't have to worry about any more injuries. Mayor's going to stay healthy. I think my concern level would probably be a four at that point because then from a depth standpoint, I would, I, I, you know, I, I would say we're just barely scraping by. But um, but I think it's you combine the inexperience with the very little wiggle room that we have from an injury standpoint, and the risk factor is, I said a six or a seven. I'm probably leaning a little bit more towards a seven just hearing you talk, Brett. An eight seems a little bit more of a doomsday take uh, than, than, uh, than, than I would go with, but, um, but it's not unreasonable. I think, I think there's a good chance that this could be the, the position that is the Achilles heel for our roster. Okay, next question. Brett, this one's for you. So... After losing Kyron Williams, All-American from last year, how concerned are you about the uh, running back room this year? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Kyron Williams was a phenomenal college running back. 
particularly given some of the offensive line struggles we had last year in the early part of the season, um, he led the country with over 40 broken tackles in the second half of the season. So he was averaging seven or eight broken tackles per game and really put the team on his back um, down the stretch for, for that team last year. And we return 41% of our touches at running back. So what we bring back in Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs and Audric Estimate is about 40% of our production at that position. That's the lowest rate for Notre Dame um, since 2015 when Pro Football Focus um, started tracking this. So, you know, really the last time that we had um, this low of productivity, it was Josh Adams replacing Dexter Williams, and Josh Adams ran for 1,000 yards and 13 touchdowns. And what let Josh Adams do that was one of the greatest offensive lines in Notre Dame history. Um that's what makes me feel good about this group. So the reason for concern is there's also injury issues here. Um, Logan Diggs has been dinged up. Um, there's rumors he could be healthy for the opener, but in a limited capacity. When he was originally hurt in spring practice, I believe a shoulder, um, the thought was he might not be ready till late September. So it sounds like he's ahead of schedule in terms of that recovery, but he was expected to kind of be option 1A, 1B with Chris Tyree. Chris Tyree is explosive. You know, people forget that he was one of the top recruits out of his recruiting class for Notre Dame, one of the fastest recruits we, we had really brought in on campus. I think he might have been with Braden Lindsay or one class ahead of Lindsay, but there was a big talk of like, wow, Braden Lindsay speed and Chris Tyree speed. Notre Dame starting to like look like, you know, SEC speed out there. Chris Tyree is an explosive player but has never really lived up to that bona fide number one workhorse. The idea of Diggs plus Chris Tyree seemed really dynamic, really special. You've got Audric Estime as the big bruiser behind there. So I feel really good about this room once Diggs is healthy because of the offensive line, which we'll get to in a second. I think that's our strongest group, maybe on either side of the ball on, on this roster. So I feel better about running back um, with Diggs and Tyree than I say do out wide about wide receiver. And that's buffered by the fact that we've got the offensive line. The equivalent I'd say is I'd feel a lot better about Lorenzo Styles Jr. if we had a third-year starter throwing him the football, right? So here with the offensive line supporting them, I feel pretty good. The last thing I'll say is um, pro football focus grades usually have a pretty good indicator of a guy's floor. Both Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs graded out at 71 and 73 last year. If you're in the low 70s, that basically means you're a solid to slightly above average college football starter. Um, so both those guys grade out pretty darn well if they get healthy. Um, and that's not to mention, you, we said it a couple of times, but Audric Estime is just a massive bruiser of a running back coming behind them. So I, I actually like this room replacing Kyron Williams. I think it's a place where a lot of ND fans have harped as maybe being the weakest group um, on the roster. I, I don't take that view given we've seen productivity from really all three running backs in this room, especially Tyree and Diggs. I agree with that. I don't have a whole lot to add to what you, you said, Brett. I agree with pretty much all the po main points that you made. I think obviously losing someone like Kyron Williams hurts, but that's just that's just part of college football. Great players, they're going to move on to the NFL. And Kyron was one of the one of those running backs that, uh, outside of breakaway speed, he was pretty much the full package. He could he could pass block. He was a good pass catcher, and then of course very shifty and could make plays out of nothing. So obviously that hurts. But I do think the pieces that we have here have the makings of a good a very good running back group if they stay healthy. As you mentioned, we've had a few injuries already. A few guys are on the mend, like you said, Diggs. Sounds like he's pretty close. If we can get good production from him this year, uh, I feel pretty good. I think hopefully Tyree can stay healthy this whole year. He's had he's had moments where he flashes. I think he's a really good. He's already a good all-purpose back. He's had moments where you throw him a screen pass or a short pass, and he'll just take it, and he's so fast that he he'll house it. He hasn't demonstrated Kyron Williams like savviness running the ball yet. He's been he's been serviceable, he's been good, but he hasn't really taken that step as as an elite running back. There are certain situations that he's very helpful in, and that's why I think Diggs is so important because I think Diggs as a runner has shown a little bit more a little bit more balance and shiftiness 
uh, in the backfield at times. Um, certainly doesn't have the same breakaway speed as Tyree. But I think if these guys are healthy with that offensive line, and that's a key point that you mentioned, Brett, I think that offensive line is critical because if if we're getting great push, if we're getting a lot of, and we'll talk about this point later, but if we're getting a lot of line yards from the offensive line, that just makes the life so much easier on the running backs. And I think especially when you have uh, guys who are at a minimum going to be solid starters, they're going to be able to make plays out of that. You're just making their lives easy. So I uh, running back has never really been – I mean, frankly, since, since I've been a fan of Notre Dame, and especially in the last five or six years, it's never really been an issue for us. We've been able to get solid production out of it, even if our guys aren't necessarily first-round picks. So I haven't been concerned at all in the past, in the last five or six years, and I'm not – I wouldn't say I'm, I'm concerned this year going into the season. Sounds like we're pretty aligned on the running back room. I, I would clarify for our listeners, you know, we're looking at some advanced metrics here with pro football focus grades and, and, and some of the other stats they track. This is an area where a lot of other ND pundits do have a lot more concern. So take that for what it's worth. Mike and I maybe have a little bit of a different view than, than quite a bit of the media out there. Now I'm going to come to really, I'm going to package two questions about Tyler Buckner here into one. We intentionally are not coming to Tyler Buckner, the quarterback, until the third question is, I think it's important to have that context of what's around him. And and what's around him is really question marks, right? Like there's question marks at both running back and wide receiver. Um, and so, Mike, will Tyler Buckner be a bust, average, or elite this year? And if he's not elite, can Notre Dame still win 10 games? So I'm going to give a magic eight ball answer. I think it's too soon to say, which I think is, I think that's a magic eight ball answer. I think we, there were some, some data points that we had last year that were promising. Um, certainly his profile is promising. So for some background on, on Buckner, he was the number 71 recruit in his class, number 11 QB. There's some talk that potentially he fell a bit because he played in California and his, his senior season was canceled due to COVID. So had he played, maybe he would have been closer to a five star. He, he was, he was very close to that five star on that five-star cusp before his season was canceled. Um, in terms of the sample size from last year, only 35 pass attempts. So really not a whole lot to get a good feel for. He didn't play in the spring game, so we didn't get to see him see him there to see if he had he'd taken a jump. Apparently reports out of camp were that he was looking, uh, looking, looking good, had taken some steps, had improved, was looking more comfortable in the offense. But again, that's just, that's basically what we just have to take from the coaches in terms of what they're saying. We we couldn't really like verify it ourselves. But out of those 35 pass attempts, 73% accuracy rate, that's about average. It's worth noting that uh, that's a lot higher than Brady Quinn and uh, Jimmy Clausen in their freshman years. Of course, they had a much bigger sample size. So I don't know that you can um, take away too much from that. In terms of pro football focus grade, overall, he was a 72. So if you just take that point blank, that tells you that he is a, he was a solid college football starter level but you need to go you need to go a little bit behind that to get a little bit more context his his running grade was a 79 so one thing we know about him we know for sure there's no question he can run there's no question that he has a strong arm there's no question that he's he's shifty and strong enough to be able to uh move the ball downfield himself physically the one question mark as we've mentioned because we have the limited sample size is the 35 pass attempts his passing grade was 43 which is not good Again, he's just a freshman, so you can't put too much stock in it. Uh, he had three interceptions in those 35 pass attempts. That's bad. That shows some bad decision-making. But again, he was a freshman. He didn't play a senior season in California. So it was really the first time that he was playing meaningful action in almost two years. And when you consider that, I think he did okay. And I think if he's improved quite a lot in the spring and he's continued to take steps in the fall, I think there's certainly a chance that he could be a good QB. But we don't really know. We're going to have to wait and see. Uh, in the fall. One other point I'm going to make here, even if he turns out to be an elite, elite QB, looks exceptional against Ohio State, there is a track record of injuries here. So he had a pretty meaningful injury in high school at one point. He recovered from it, played well uh, his last, the last year that he was able to play uh, high school football. But uh, he also had an ankle injury in, in the spring from walking down some steps with his history professor, apparently that's not, you don't like to hear that. Apparently he would have been okay to play if it was a, a big game, but still you don't want to see your, your top QB just getting stupid injuries like that. He's had a strayed hamstring before. 
Um, so there are, he's someone who hasn't necessarily been able to stay healthy. And I think that that also gives you some, some pause as well. So I think my takeaway here is that certainly we've seen tools from him that suggest that he could be a really good QB. There are plenty of clips that show him just making incredible throws. We know what he can do in live game situations on the run, but we don't have enough of a sample size to really know. I mean, going, Coming out of camps, whether it's fall camp or spring camp, you get a lot of... I mean, I remember Brandon Wimbush. People were really positive about him that one camp. They were saying Brandon Wimbush is going to tear it up in the fall. And then he looked really good against Michigan, and then he completely fell off by midseason. We had to replace him with Ian Book, essentially. So you can't put too much stock into what you're hearing. We're just going to we're gonna have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add as a rebuttal. I 100% agree. I was actually just about to go to Wimbush as the comparison... Um, you know, out of high school, despite tearing an ACL, Tyler Buckner ran a four six five forty. Which, again, there's usually a lot of improvement from where you are in high school to maybe where you are in an NFL draft three or four years later. So, four six five probably projects around a four five. That's like Marcus Mariota speed, who is considered you know one of these elite burner running quarterbacks. So, Tyler Buckner is a real athlete. In fact, if you break down his pro football focus grade a year ago, um, there's maybe two ways to look at this, but his running grade was a 79. Um, 80 is kind of elite, cuspy NFL. 90s like surefire all-American NFL, but like if you're getting high 70s, you're getting cuspy to very elite college level. So as a rushing QB elite, but his passing grade was a 49. Now again, that's on 35 attempts. I think a lot of that's drawn down. He had three interceptions in there. So I think that grade is really a sample size issue. But you start getting a little concerned, um, you know, and, and I, concern's not the right word. But what I'm really going to be watching for is, can he execute the short throw? That was always the big knock on a guy like Brandon Wimbush, that he maybe had a cannon. He may be at blazing speed. But he couldn't make the simple throw. He couldn't make the check down. He couldn't make the throw out to the flat. He couldn't make the slant route. It was the simple throw he couldn't execute on. That's what Tyler Buckner needs to own. That's how he's going to get the ball to Mike Mayer. That's how he's going to get the ball to Chris Tyree. Um, he's got to execute those simple throws. The other thing that you said that I would maybe take a slightly different view on is the injury history. Um, last year he tweaked an ankle, tweaked a hamstring, tweaked a quad, tweaked whatever, and then missed games from that as a backup, as a change of pace package where he wasn't practicing with the one team. He wasn't the starter. Jack Cohn was the guy. And so, you know, do you bring in Tyler Buckner as a change of pace when he's healthy and has been practicing all week? Yes. Do you not bring him in as a change of pace when he's not 100% healthy and hasn't been practicing all week? Probably harder to bring him in as a package guy. But I generally think the injuries he had, if he were the number one QB and he was getting first team reps and he was more familiar with the offense and the offense familiar with him, he would have played through those injuries. So always a concern with a mobile quarterback. I may be more concerned about the ACL history he had going back to his high school days. Um, so injury history, definitely a concern there. Don't want to read too much into some of the, you know, sprains and strains he had last year because I think if he's QB1, he, he could play through that type of an injury. Um, just maybe one as sort of a package specialist as, as QB2. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Brett. I will say if he, these minor injuries, which he tends to get, and I don't know, I don't know that it's, we'll see if he, if he actually is more injury prone going forward, but because he is a mobile QB and we have yet to see proof that he's going to be a great passing QB. Um, it puts more pressure on, on the passing component of his game because if he's banged up and he's limited on the run, then teams can just key in on his passing. And if that's a little shaky, obviously that can limit us a bit. So um, so we'll see. But um, yeah, I agree with all that. Buckner is obviously one of the key question marks for this season. It could, could make or break the season. If he's elite, that could be a path to winning more games than we than we would have anticipated um, and potentially surprising some people. Now, um, moving on to the next question, we have mentioned this position group a little bit already, but um, I want to ask a little bit more pointed question about it, something a little bit more specific about it. And this, so this position group is the offensive line. And Brett, I want to hear what you think about the Harry Heat stand effect. Do you think we're putting a little too much hype into it? Do you think, do you think the offensive line is 
I think we both think the offensive line is going to be good, but do you think that, is it possible that we are overemphasizing that, that we're getting a little too excited about it, that maybe we've got to take a step back and, and take a breath? So I'm, I'm going to answer this question in a way that I think a lot of our listeners might not agree with, but I'm a huge fan of Jeff Quinn. I think Harry Heastan is a huge upgrade, but I think Jeff Quinn did a great job at Notre Dame. For example, last year, the offensive line graded out as the 14th best pass blocking unit and the 22nd best run blocking unit in the country. Now, there are other metrics like line yards. So line yards measures what is the push that the offensive line generates on any given rush. So are they getting three yards of penetration or two yards of penetration or five yards of penetration? We ranked 100th in that. So I get it. The advanced metrics kind of disagreed on how good was Notre Dame's offensive line. But if everyone's excited about Jarrett Patterson and Blake Fisher and um, Josh Lugg and, and Joe Alt and all these, you know, Andrew Christophich, those are all Jeff Quinn recruits. Like Lugg was number 120, Blake Fisher was number 55, Rocco Spindler was number 60, Zeke Carell was number one, not 95. Uh, Tosh Baker is number 100. So Jeff Quinn got out and recruited top 150 talent. And I get there's a split opinion on whether or not they produced last year. They definitely got off to a slow start, but they had to replace a lot of dudes last year. So one, is there too much hype on the Harry Heastand effect? Yes, I think there is because I think Jeff Quinn is underrated among Notre Dame fans. Um, you know, we forget that a lot of those sacks taken as well, just as another metric, Jack Cohn took about two times the number of expected sacks per pressure compared to an average, um, quarterback rate of, of kind of sacks per pressure. So, um, I think Jeff Quinn was sort of the scapegoat for a lot of issues in Notre Dame's offense the last couple of years. I think he did a great job recruiting and developing talent, but Harry Heastand is hands down a Hall of Fame offensive line coach, one of the best of all time. He's developed Mike McGlinchey and Ronnie Stanley and Quentin Nelson. Like the list goes on of elite NFL caliber offensive linemen that he's created. And he is working with the best possible scenario coming back now to Notre Dame. So 80% of the snaps are back on this offensive line. And that really includes a deep group of nine guys who saw significant action last year. Um, if you juxtapose that to the last four years, we've never returned more than 55% of snaps at offensive line. So we've always been turning over really two or three starters every year. This year, other than Kane Madden, everyone's back. And that includes guys like Blake Fisher, who you know, only started a couple of games because of injury, but now they're healthy, and that gave other guys like Joe Alt a chance to step up and develop. So there are some real dudes on this line. Um, Josh Lug, Jarrett Patterson, Joe Alt, they all graded out right around an 80. So again, in pro football focus grades, that translates to a very high-end college starter, cuspy NFL talent. Um, Blake Fisher, Andrew Christoffich, they both had grades in the high 60s, so that's really like a low-end college starter, but that's as first-year player, so you'd expect them to make a big leap in year two. Um, and we're not even talking about Zeke Carell, Michael Carmody, Rocco Spindler, Tosh Baker, so I think this is the by far deepest position group, the most proven position coach, the most returning production like across the board on either side of the football the offensive line is the reason why Notre Dame will, you know, really has, I think, nine wins as the floor, like the minimum of what they hit this year, maybe eight wins. Like the reason why they will just go out and dominate eight games this year is because of this offensive line unit. The reason why they will stay in games we otherwise shouldn't stay in is because of this offensive line unit. So how much credit am I giving to Harry Heastan? I don't know. What position group am I the absolute most excited to watch go out and just play football this year? It begins and ends at the offensive line. I think with Heastan, for me, I just know that he's going to be able to optimize our talent more so than anyone. He's, he's shown an ability to do that again and again. And I'm with you on it. I think Quinn got a bad reputation. Uh, it was undeserved. Certainly he's not, if you're saying he's not Heastan, you're correct. Right. So it's certainly an upgrade from that standpoint. But I think Jack Cohn, 
he was he was great for last year. We talked about him a little bit. He did a lot of great things. Was very productive for us. But his issues were that he would compound certain issues with the offensive line. So as you mentioned last year, we we got off to a bit of a slow start. It was a brand new line. We were replacing a lot of people. And then we had a QB that was very immobile. So we took a lot of sacks, like you mentioned, Brett. And then on top of that, opposing defenses knew that he was very immobile. So they they didn't have to account for him as a running threat. I remember even when Buckner would come in, it seemed like when that would happen, when he was in, even our running game would be... It seemed like we were able to get a little bit more push just because they had to account for Buckner. They couldn't just completely rule him out. So I think I think you, you look at kind of that cone impact from last year, and if you account for that, it shows that our offensive line was actually pretty solid, which, which lines up with what you were saying with the pro football focus grades. And then additionally, we have all this returning production, a lot of very talented guys, as you mentioned. I think one aspect is apparently Zeke Carell has made quite a jump into the fall. He's someone who, at times, we've wanted him to step up and be the center, but he, in the past, hasn't necessarily been able to physically maintain the the, physica- uh, the physicality required for that position. It sounds like he's done so. Size, at times, has been an issue for him. He's, he's fluctuated with weight at times as the season has gone on. It seems like he's finally at the point to where he can he can play the position, and that allows us to slide Jarrett Patterson off to the side. And overall should create a more optimal line. And then, as you mentioned, Blake Fisher, Joe Alt, these guys were good last year as freshmen. Fisher missed most of the year. He showed up with hardly any notice for the Oklahoma State game and, and played pretty well in it. So these are guys that I think I think Alt and Fisher potentially could be first-round picks. You give them another year. As I mentioned, you you just give top talent to Heastand and I think you're looking at a unit that should be should be very dangerous and agree 100%. Gives us a very strong floor. First year QB, there are going to be some bumps with it, but he's going to be well protected. I feel good about that, and hopefully we'll be able to generate a lot of push this year. I think I think hopefully we're going to get back to the days where we're we're bullying opposing defenses and just running the ball down their throat. So I it might be a little early to say I don't I don't want us to be a, a run the damn ball podcast, but it's possible we could be seeing uh, we could be seeing some 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 good run the damn ball moments uh, this year. As as someone who is a big proponent of throw the damn ball, I 100% agree. Particularly for everything we said outside of wide receiver, if there's a year to pound the rock, um, the line is built for it. The QB is built for it. The concerns <laughs> out wide definitely say go lean on this offensive line to, to win you football games. So going to our second to last question which underclassman is most likely to be a breakout star so i think for me styles seems to be the most obvious pick he was productive last year although i do think we mentioned this a little bit earlier i think maybe fans are were overhyping him a little bit they're putting a lot of expectations on him he flashed at times and i think as the year went on he got better and better overall his pro football focus grade was nothing exceptional but i think it's as the year went on he showed clear improvement I think everyone expects him to be the guy. He's for me. He's he's the the most obvious pick to be a breakout. He's just we've seen some of the potential. We've seen some improvement already. You give him a full off season, and I think he's going to make a pretty big jump. Another now on the flip side, someone who's not a safe bet. I think Buckner's an obvious candidate for this question, uh, just because he's the QB and he has a lot of potential. We talked about Buckner quite a bit earlier on a question. It's I think there's. You know, we don't really know enough about him at this point to say definitively, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he, and maybe there's, it's, it's hard to predict what's going to happen this season. Maybe he's a little choppy at the beginning and then by the end of the year, he's, he's looking great. And so then we feel good about the following seasons, but he's someone again who just because he's the QB and he has a lot of potential seems like he could be someone who takes a, a big step to and, and does well. I think Blake Fisher is someone who's also more, uh, maybe a little bit more similar to Styles in the sense that he seems like a bit of a safer pick to be a breakout star. Last year, going into the season, he was already going to be a starter at the first game, and then he and, and he was, but then he got hurt early on, um, which was a bit, which is extremely rare for Notre, Dame, Notre Dame's offensive line to have a true freshman starter. And he was someone who was gonna who was gonna who was gonna do so throughout the whole season had he not got hurt, and. The coaching staff was very, very high on him, and, and essentially they were saying, yeah, it's unusual, but he's also an unusually good prospect. 
And then, he, again, as I mentioned before with the Oklahoma State game, he just stepped in and didn't miss a beat after not playing for such a long period of time. Um, yeah, so I think if I'm just focusing on those couple guys, those are those are a few of the guys that I wanted to key on. But I don't know if you had some other guys that you wanted to call out. But for me, those are those are the the guys that I that kind of stood out to me. When I think about predicting a breakout star and trying to you know hit on that prediction, what I really like to see is someone building on demonstrated success. So Tyler Buckner only having 35 pass attempts last year really makes me just want to pump the brakes and be like, I hope he's an above average quarterback. I hope he goes and makes plays. I'm not out here expecting Tyler Buckner to be an All-American. And I think if we expect that of him or the coaches expect that of him, it's going to get us into trouble. Similarly, I said Deion Colsey last year, I think only had nine catches. Um, Jaden Thomas, someone else who's probably going to be starting this year or you know, at least seeing a lot of action after the Avery Davis injury. Same thing, Jaden Thomas didn't really see the field much last year. Blake Fisher didn't see the field much last year, largely because of injury. The guy that I'm really keyed in on is Joe Alt. He's really interesting in that he's a sophomore, and he was ranked outside the top 400 in his recruiting class. It's pretty rare at Notre Dame for a mid to low end three star to be starting at offensive line. It's actually a position group where we have an 82% blue chip ratio, which means 82% of our offensive linemen are four stars and five stars. So it's pretty rare just to have an offensive lineman be a three star, let alone that they come in and start, let alone that they come in and, and start as a freshman. And Joe Alt started a lot last year because of injuries, for sure. But when he played, he played extremely well. He wound up starting 11 games. He had a pro football focus grade of 79. That was um, right there, actually, like just a notch behind Jarrett Patterson and Josh Lug. So he graded out about as well as anybody did um, on this um, team. In fact, he only allowed one hit to the quarterback the entire season playing tackle as a freshman. So from what he's building on in terms of building blocks to really make a big step forward in offseason development and technique and game film and all those things where you see freshmen really transcend in their sophomore, junior years, I think Joe Alt has the best base to really come in here as a sophomore at Notre Dame with a lot of experience under his belt and be a real anchor on that offensive line. So my answer of the group of six sophomores that will be starting on offense, which, by the way, let's just remind ourselves we're going to have six sophomores starting on offense, um, I get really excited about Joe Alt. Definitely, and I think Alt. If Alton Fisher are both breakout stars, then you can. I think you can just. We, we'll just know for sure that our offensive line is going to be spectacular, um, and because these guys are also just high upside, and then we'll have them. We'll have them, you know, for another season too. So uh, obviously bodes very well. Buckner, if Buckner is the biggest breakout star, then uh, we might be in a position to be potentially going to the playoff. But as we mentioned, it's a big boomer bust. Maybe it's not boomer bust, but just very uncertain. Um, I, so I, I know we say that we're the podcast that doesn't do hot takes. Here is my biggest hot take offseason prediction. Notre Dame's winning the Joe Moore Award this year for most outstanding offensive line. Just calling it right now. Wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the talent's there. We talked about we talked about this in our uh, earlier question. Talent's there. We have experience. And then we have the best the best offensive line coach in the country. So it's pretty much all the stars are aligning and it'll be exciting to see where we get. Okay, Brett. So pulling all that together, everything that we talked about with the offense or strengths or question marks, who's going to break out, what the he stand effect is going to be. If it's too hyped, putting all of these different aspects of the offense together. My question to you is what is a good goal for SP plus by year end? Yeah, so SP plus efficiency rating, we talk about this all the time. It really is a tempo adjusted, so how fast or slow does the offense move? How many plays will they have in a game? And opponent adjusted, are you playing tough teams or easy teams? An adjusted metric to predict how good you will be against the average team in the country. So if you have an SP plus rating of 36 on offense, that means that against the average defense in the country, you would be predicted to score 36 points in a typical game. 
Um, and then every team in the country gets a rating and, and you get then ranked based on your rating. So last year, Notre Dame was the 20th most efficient offense. Um, as I think about the framework of what's good and what's bad, two things. One, you need to understand where Notre Dame's historically been. And two, you need to know how we got there versus how we might get there this year. So in the last eight seasons, we've never been outside the top 35. Actually, in the last 13 seasons, we've never been outside the top 35. We've also only been in the top 10 twice, back in 2009 and back in 2015. So realistically, top 20, top 15, that's a really good unit for Notre Dame. Frankly, we try to be balanced where we, you know, if you're top 15 on both offense and defense, that's probably actually top five overall because most teams don't quite have as much balance as Notre Dame's historically had on offense and defense. So my goal for Tom Reese is not to have the number one SP plus offense. I don't know if that's realistic this year. I do think the goal should be getting back to a top 20, but I think we get there in a very different way. So last year, um, you know, we mentioned this, especially in the first half of the year, our offense didn't create a great push. Um, so we ranked 100th in line yards, which is kind of offensive lines penetration on running plays. What that led to was we weren't very good staying ahead of the sticks. Um, a metric we talk a lot about is the success rate. And a success rate is getting 50% of the yards on first down, 70% of the yards on second down, and then getting all of the yards you need on third down. Um, we had a 43% success rate. That was about middle of the country. So we didn't really stay on track last year very well. We weren't getting five, six yards on first downs. We weren't, you know, quote unquote, staying ahead of the chains. Where we made up for it was we were a very explosive offense. Our explosiveness ranked number 18 in the country. So guys like Kevin Austin, Mike Mayer, um, Kyron Williams, they ripped off some big plays. Chris Tyree, you said that earlier, Mike, ripped off some big plays that kind of made up for it. Um, and so as I think about the offense this year, it might be a little bit different. I think you might not see quite as much explosiveness without Kyron Williams without Kevin Austin out wide with maybe more inexperience at wide receiver. But I think what you're going to see is a lot more push from your offensive line. This is an offensive line, especially with a dual threat quarterback, especially with, you know, Tyler Buckner getting 10, 15, 20 rushes a game. We should be much more productive in the run game, staying on schedule, getting in second and four, second and three situations, something we were not good at last year and we made up for it in other areas. It's interesting I say all that because every single pundit, every single person covering Notre Dame football saying, now that Brian Kelly's not here, Tom Reese is finally going to run his offense and we're going to chuck the ball everywhere and we're going to throw you. I don't know if that's true. Like maybe it is. Maybe we get more creative. I, I hope we do. I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing with the pieces we have on this field this year when you've got this experienced of a line and that much inexperienced of wide receiver. I don't think this is the year to start chucking the ball everywhere. And I think Tom Reese knows that, regardless of what Notre Dame fans want to say about whether or not Brian Kelly was too conservative or not. I think this is the type of offense where you rest on your offensive line. You really try to drive that success rate. You stay on schedule. You get ahead of the chains, stay ahead of the chains. And if you do that, like if you've got a top 20, top 30 success rate, if you're top 20, top 30 in line yards, that will translate to a top 20 offense. Like that will just translate in all of the other efficiency metrics. And so that's what I'm looking for this year. I don't think we're top 10. I think we'll be somewhere 15 to 20, but I think we're going to get there in a very different way that we did last year. Yep. I agree. I think, I think top 20 would be, would be a good, a good end result. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm assuming our defense, we'll talk more about the defense next week, but we have a pretty good defensive unit coming back. So if we're looking at a top 20, uh, offense in terms of efficiency, we're looking at a uh, a very good team this year. It'd be hard to imagine that we would not hit our uh, our wins and loss record projections that we that we suggested. So, and I I, I agree with you on uh, that the way that we're going to get there is going to be a little bit different. I think one thing one thing I want to call out that uh, you didn't mention as much as is, is the havoc rate. So our havoc rate last year was not 
awful off the top of my head. It wasn't great. At times last year it was bad. Earlier on especially, there were a ton of sacks. Cone yeah, it was actually about the- middle of the country at 70th. So about middle of the yeah. country and havoc allowed. That's what I remember. And we got, I think we got better at it as the year went on because earlier on Cone would just take so many sacks. But I do think one area we should be better at, and we'll see. I mean, if, 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 if Buckner throws a lot of picks, if, if we're fumbling the ball more, then, then maybe not. But I think from an offensive line standpoint, from a sack standpoint, I think we're going to shore up there pretty well. I don't think we're going to have as much havoc that's generated there from that standpoint. And I think, I, I, I do think it, our running attack is going to be better. And so if our running, if our, our run game is better, typically if you have a strong run game, that leads to fewer turnovers because running game, like running plays is just tend to lead to turnovers less frequently than passing plays. So I do think, I do think overall, I think the, the havoc that we give up is not going to be quite as high. I think our, uh, success rate will probably be elevated too with a stronger run game. I think maybe our run game will be more explosive, although you don't want to bank on a run game being explosive. If, if that's where you're banking on your explosiveness coming from, you're not going to have an explosive offense. It can only take you so far. Um, and then I also agree. I think our passing game, Buckner is certainly someone who can, who's shown an ability to get creative and create plays. So maybe get some explosiveness, explosiveness there, but I don't think we have the, the personnel from a receiver standpoint to generate explosiveness consistently. Uh, if they do, then that's a pleasant surprise. And I think our offense is off to the races, but uh, I do think that that would be something that we shouldn't expect. And then if you take stock of all that, I think I think Tommy Reese is someone who's going to mold the offense to what he thinks is going to fit the strengths that he has the best. And that tends to lead more of a, not maybe not necessarily a grounded, a grounded pound team, but he's, he's certainly going to, I think he's certainly, if he sees that the offensive line's very strong, he can get pushed, the running backs are going to do well. The passing game's a little shaky at times. I don't think he's going to hesitate to to lean on the running game at times, and I think that's kind of what we're looking at. And hopefully that leads to a top a top twenty offense. I don't think it'll be a bad offense. I, I would be surprised if we fell past thirty five. If if I had to guess, I would say we probably end up somewhere in the top twenty five. Top twenty would be great, but uh, if I had to pick, I would guess somewhere in the top twenty five. <laughs> All right, to close out the show, we're going to bring back the Four Horsemen segment where we pick a different topic and walk through four potential answers. I know we didn't mention this in the preview, for forgot to mention in the intro, so hopefully most of our listeners are, are still listening in the last few minutes here, Mike. But for this week's Four Horsemen segment, we're going to alternate predicting who we think are the four offensive players who will end the year with the highest pro football focus grades for Notre Dame. And I'll kick off with my pick. So this is an easy one. I think anyone who knows anything about Notre Dame's roster knows that our our most exciting offensive player is Michael Mayer, likely to be the top tight end in the country, probably a first-round pick. I think if you pick anyone but him, you would be tipping off a lack of knowledge about Notre Dame's roster or just the Notre Dame team in general. So this is someone who, from the moment he stepped on campus, has just flashed immense potential. Every time he's gotten in, he's, he's lived up to the hype. Um, just a player that opposing defenses have to account for on every play. Uh, really just one of those freaks. I mean, this is, this is a guy who there is a, uh, there's a group of premier tight ends, professional and college, who have a get together called, uh, tight end, tight end university. And it's mostly top professional players, but they did invite a college football player, and that college football player is Michael Mayer. So I think that tells you what his perception is, not only from the Notre Dame fan base, but also across the entire country, and particularly with uh, with with the NFL too. So expect him to have a big year, assuming he stays healthy. Expect him to be a first round pick. Expect him to get all the accolades that you can think of, and uh, and just have a uh, just have a banner year. So with my pick, I'm going to lean into what I said earlier about my prediction for a breakout underclassman. I'm going to go with Joe Alt. Again, he was right up there with some of the other upperclassmen offensive line last year, Jared Patterson, Josh Lug, but will have the benefit of one coming into the season as a starter. Last year he came in really on the two deep, kind of fighting to even be in the two deep. And also the benefit of that freshman to sophomore jump 
another off season in the weight room, another off season with the coaching staff and, and film study and, and all that stuff that leads to player development. Um, and I'm just going to say it again. He allowed seven QB hurries the entire year. Um, for context, you know, Josh Love gave up twice as many. Jared Patterson was at 11. Kane Maddams at 13. So some other really good players. He was just, you know, above and away better. And by the way, a harder position, like being out of tackle is going up against the best edge rusher. So at a really hard position, he really excelled as a freshman. Um, I think he's sneaky going to be putting himself in position to kind of be that next Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey. That's a high first round NFL draft pick for Notre Dame. Despite, by the way, I said it earlier, being outside the top 400 in his recruiting class, I think he was a real diamond in the rough that the Notre Dame identified and is staring at a really, really great career ahead of him in, in a Notre Dame uniform. Yeah, it's it's clear that he his recruiting projections, he's already vastly exceeded them based on his production from last year. Um, so obviously a great get. We've been getting really good talent on the offensive line, but then on top of that, for one of the under-the-radar guys to potentially pan out and be one of the best— is just massive. I'm going to stick with the offensive line. I think that's a, that's a theme for the offense. Brett and I are both very uh, very high on the offensive line, so not going to be a surprise here that we're picking some offensive line guys. The next guy I'm going with is, is Jarrett Patterson. He was a center, our center from last year. Played really well. Someone who could have went to the NFL draft. He wouldn't have been a first round pick, but I think he would have been a first would have been picked sometime in the first three rounds. He's obviously trying to play into a first round pick with a good season this year. Uh, as we mentioned before, Zeke Carell is pro- likely to be the center this year, so Patterson's going to slide over. But someone who is a bit of a known, he's, this is a bit of a safe pick, a known quantity. If he stays healthy, he's likely to improve some, and just also just will, is going to provide that line with veteran leadership as well. So he's someone who it's uh, gives a very high floor, and with incremental improvement, is someone that you would expect to have some of the uh, one of the highest pro football focus grades uh, by the end of the season. Yeah, and he's also a pretty safe pick in the sense that his grades the last two years were 81.7 and 79.7. So he's, you know, for sure locked in right around that 80 range, knowing commodity, kind of know what you're getting from him. So I really like that pick. That That's where I was also going to go. So with the last pick in the draft of our four horsemen, I'm going to rule out a group that, again, I've got a recurring theme when you're trying to predict things. Predicting big jumps is tough. So predicting someone who is a role player last year to elevate to being elite, really uncommon. It's probably more likely they were a role player last year, and then they're going to be a super solid starter this year, and then the year after that. You know, they're kind of a year away guy. So guys that I view as a year away, Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo Styles Jr. And I maybe would add him high on the list, but I think just with the injury issues, I'm going to put Logan Diggs on, on that list as well. The only other non-offensive lineman I could maybe argue for is Chris Tyree, but for three or four years, he hasn't really lived up to expectations. So I have a hard time believing he's going to be anything more than what we've seen. Same thing with Braden Lindsay guys. We kind of know what they are and that they haven't elevated before. So, I'm going to go back with what I think is also a known commodity like Jared Patterson in Josh Lugg. It's interesting that he's the fourth person we've picked. Josh Lugg was our highest rated um, pro football focus grade on offense for guys that are coming back. So um, I believe – no, he was actually higher than Kyron Williams. So he was our highest graded offensive player a year ago. Um, hard to not include him on this list after what he's done. He's been a very solid multi-year starter. He had a grade of 81 a year ago at tackle, um, has stayed healthy, has been consistent, has been solid. Um, you know, again, gave up five sacks last year. That's a lot that actually led the team. I think a lot of those, we, we just got to keep reminding ourselves, Tyler Buckner is not going to take as many sacks as Jack Cohen. So, um, I think, Josh Lugg has performed really well the last couple of years, graded out really well last year. Um, and I think he's really primed to just continue to build on that and, and be another anchor. So no surprise, Mike and I have been really, really consistent in this show. 
If Notre Dame has a good year, if you want to get excited about Notre Dame football, it builds on the offensive line. Our prediction is that three of our four best offensive players will be offensive linemen. Um, that's where this team is going to hang their hat this year. Something we weren't saying in last year's preview, definitely saying this year going in, going into the 2022 season. Definitely. And that's not even including Blake Fisher, who many would have pegged as the, one of the most talented offensive line prospects that we've had in quite a long time. For an offensive line position that has continually sent some of the best offensive line players to the NFL. So, yeah, as Brett said, consistent theme, offensive line. We're hopefully just going to bully, bully other teams this year, get back to some of those, uh, some of those really physical teams that we've seen in the last five or six years. So overall, really excited to see these players step up and see improvement. That's one of the better aspects of college football. One of the things that I really enjoy. You see in the NFL too, but I think college football in particular is that you see these massive jumps from year to year. Cause these are, these are young kids that, that, uh, that we're dealing with. So they're, they, they grow and progress quite a bit year to year at times. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be great to see who, who really steps up this year and, um, potentially puts themselves in a position to be a, to, in a position to make themselves a lot of money in the NFL one day. Absolutely. So at time of recording, we have 18 days until we kick off against Ohio State. We will be back with two more shows between now and then. Um, in two weeks, we will preview that Ohio State game and get you ready for for that home uh, for that season opener. And next week, as we mentioned, we will be back to cover the defensive side of Notre Dame's roster and also tick through our thoughts on the Manti Teo documentary that just came out on Netflix. Go check that out. Until then, Gyrish. Gyrish.